Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, uh, it's good to be back with you guys. Oh, you know, I'm really grateful that Pastor Jeff was able to come and, uh, you know, give you a word while I was out, you know. Um, Lexi and I, my wife, we went on a little pre-baby getaway uh, type of thing. You know, we figured um, it might be our last adult vacation ever. So <laughs> we really decided, you know, like we would, we would really uh, go for it. It wasn't long, but it was, it, was, it was bold. And it was bold because we went to Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. So I can confirm, if you are wondering, that it still lives up to the name, Sin City. All right, it's still wild and crazy there. So if you've been th- sitting at home thinking to yourself, like, you know what, man, I'd really like to go and see if, if Las Vegas is still wild, if it's still crazy, if it's still sinful, uh, don't worry. You don't have to do that because I did that for you. You can thank me later. You know, I heard a joke when I was out there, and they said there's one way to leave Vegas with a small fortune. You want to know the answer? Show up with a big one. <laughs> so seriously, <laughs> it's it good to get away. Uh, it's a good time. We we had we had fun. We ate a lot of food. We watched some shows. Don't worry, we didn't gamble at all. We didn't get rid of any of the money that you pay me to come and teach and preach. So you know, God's money is still in good hands. <laughs> uh, you know. But there's something, uh, I, I tell you all that, because there, there's something inside of me that uh, inherently happens every time that I go out west. And, and every time I go out west, I get caught off guard by one thing. Other than the fact that it's super dry, and my skin gets dry, and my nose gets dry, and my throat gets dry, and everything kind of hurts. Uh, the other thing that really catches me off guard is the amount of open space that there is. Like, it it just blows me away because I have been uh, an East Coast city-adjacent person for my entire life. So in my eyes and in my mind, land is like gold. Land is is worth something. I, I have a mindset of land scarcity. Land is super valuable in my eyes. And so when I go out west and I just see like for miles and miles, as far as you can see, just nothingness, I get this real itch inside of me to buy some. And so I told my dad that, you know, like the week before we left, I was like, man, I want to like, I want to buy some land every time I go out there. And he said to me, absolutely not. Do not buy land in the desert, son. (laughs) You'll never get any water to it. 
And so if you're out there and you're parents of adult children, this is why you're still important in this world. Because I'm nearly 40 years old and I forget how like nature works. You know, I forget the fact that like there's not water everywhere, that the only reason that I have lived somewhere where there's water all the time is because one, the climate is different. And two, because people have put in a lot of work to make sure that water gets to those places. And so, you know, the reality is uh, when I think about this advice that my dad gave to me, don't buy land in the desert. You know, I, I got to just like really soak that in. And because I'm a pastor, like, you know, I have to think about it and like theologize it and, and like just really, really beat it to a pulp in my mind. And what I came up with was, that's a really good word, dad. Like, He's not a preacher, but he was preaching to me in that moment. And so as I drove around the Nevada desert and saw just how much literal nothing that there is, I couldn't help but think to myself, wow, you know, dad, what a deeply important message and metaphor that is for my life and for the lives of, of all Christians, really. You know, and so if you're reading the Bible with us this year, then last week you finished up the book of Numbers, and you read about how the Israelites just wandered around in the desert, in the wilderness, for years and years and years, just wandering around in the nothingness. And, and if it wasn't for God's grace that fed them through manna and quail from heaven, that, that gave them something to drink by drawing water out of a rock, if it wasn't for God's grace and protecting them from all of the dangerous things that exist in the wilderness, then they wouldn't have made it very long. And regardless, even though God sustained them in the desert through this period of time where they're wandering, God's plan wasn't for them to live there. They were meant to move into this promised land, a, a land that's described as flowing with milk and honey, which is just a really ancient way of saying, like, it's a good place. There's water. It sustains life. You can, you can uh, have cattle and, and all kinds of different um, ways of sustaining yourself. You can grow crops. Like, this is a good place to live. It's much better than the desert. And so when, when I, I was reading the, the book of Numbers this week, I could just hear God like speaking through Moses. Tell those people, don't buy land in the desert, sons and daughters. <laughs> so on Wednesday, you know, we uh, began the season of Lent, which is the journey that we take uh, as the church, as Christians, uh, to the cross and the empty tomb with Jesus. Uh, so we marked our heads with ashes, realizing, symbolizing that the dust of the earth is what we are formed from and that the dust of the earth is what we'll eventually return to. And this is not a curse all in itself. This is just the natural reality of, of life on this side of eternity at this point. But it's also a reality that informs us that, you know, even after our mortal lives uh, are done, after our bodies have served the, the purpose that God has created them for while we hold uh, God's breath within us, they continue to do the work of God 
long after we pass away because our bodies become dust, which becomes the ground that grows the food that's needed to create and sustain life for the generations that come after us. And so through ashes and through the time of Lent, we are invited to take an honest look at our lives as they truly are and then reflect on how we are in deep need of transformation. We accept the frailty of our condition and we seek to encounter the God who can take the ashes of our lives and move us into something new. We find that God is an artist and that the dust of our lives our ashes are the medium that God uses to paint beautiful masterpieces. And what we're going to find out over the course of the next six weeks in this sermon series, which is called Painting with Ashes, is that God wants to teach us how to paint with our ashes as well. You see, the dust, the ash, and the desert, the wilderness that we'd find them in aren't our ultimate it's what we do with them, or what we do in them, that really is what matters. We'll always have to visit the deserts of our lives, won't we? Like, the world's not getting any better. Bad things continue to happen, even to good people. It's just the fact of life. And so when we find ourselves in the wilderness, when we find ourselves in the midst of the brokenness of the world and of our lives, what we have to remember is that although we're visiting, we shouldn't be buying any land there. In fact, Jesus models this for us. You know, Jesus was a guy who kind of lived his whole life as a wandering nomad. But his first real bout of wandering was and is one of the most infamous stories about Jesus' life. It's a story that the entire 40-day season of Lent is based on. You see, right after Jesus was baptized, the act that symbolized the beginning of his ministry, he was led in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He was led into the desert of Israel. And what Jesus found in the desert of Israel was what you most definitely will find if you wander into the desert of Nevada and you wake up in Las Vegas. Temptation in mass. And so today's text comes from uh, the book of Luke, uh, chapter 4, and we're just going to see exactly what Jesus dealt with during his time spent in the desert. So it just begins this way. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And so, like, for 40 days, Jesus is out in the wilderness, and he comes face to face with the source of sin. Not only does he come face to face with the source of sin, but he does so in a very weakened physical fashion. He hasn't eaten any food in 40 days. And so this is how the rest of it all goes down. So the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, then command this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written that one does not live by bread alone. 
Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone that I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw down yourself from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So when the devil had finished every test, he departed him until an opportune time. So what we have here is Jesus, although he was God, being portrayed as human, like you and I, open to temptation. And that's a really important aspect because Jesus is being offered here the same promises that you and I are offered. The same promises that were made to Eve all those years back in the garden on that fateful day. See, Eve, if you'll remember, was offered fruit. Something that looked good for eating. And within that fruit were two promises. The authority to define good and evil for herself and the opportunity to be like God. Jesus was offered bread, something good to eat, especially when you haven't eaten anything in 40 days. He was offered authority, the opportunity to show off and prove that he was God. And every day we live our lives tempted by these same things, right? Things that will fulfill our primal desires, food, sex, pleasure of any kind. The authority to rule over others and define what is right and wrong based on what's best for me, myself, and I. The opportunity to be our own God. You know, Eve failed. We fail. But Jesus did not. Jesus kept his eye on the ultimate prize. Even when the tempter uses scripture to try to entice Jesus to sin, Jesus knows the whole story. And Jesus himself recites scripture back at the tempter to ward off this temptation. And he's able to do that because scripture is written all over his so here's kind of a side note, you know, when you ask yourself, like, why am I reading the Bible? The answer is because sometimes the things that aren't good for us, things that aren't good for this world, are offered to us using the words of Scripture. And it's our responsibility to know the whole story so that we can look at them and say, no, that's, that's not right right. That's not what that's trying to teach. That's not what God wants. Side note over. You know, let's be honest with ourselves, about ourselves for just a minute. 
we are people who are broken. And in many ways, that brokenness was handed down to us. Scripture says that it was handed down to us because we're sinful by nature, because of the failures of Adam and Eve and all those who came after them. We're broken because of the failure of people who were supposed to care for us and our hearts when we were children. We're broken because systems that were put in place to help us didn't see us, didn't do their jobs. And of course, we're broken because of the decisions that we've made over the course of our lives. We're broken because we've sought after money and power with more fervency than is healthy. We're broken because we've placed our workplace above our home and our family. We're broken because drinks or drugs or gambling were more important to us than our own health. We're broken because we put ourselves before others, because we put ourselves before God. And, you know, we're just broken because it's just so darn easy to be lured in by the hopeful and empty promises that call to us from the desert. And so we wander out there, and for a time, this all seems well. We see the for sale sign, and we think, you know what? This would be a nice place to settle down. But the reality is that it's a trap. When we put down roots in the broken places of our world, and we begin to identify ourselves with them, things go really bad, pretty fast. When we put down roots in the broken places of our world, then it becomes increasingly harder for us to pull them up and move back into the glorious future that God has called us to. It just seems so far off. We just think to ourselves, like, I am just too far gone. What could God possibly want to do with persons like us, the desert? Well, it seems that God actually wants quite a lot from us. See, God wants to move us through the desert. God wants to, to take us, broken mess and all, and move us into a place of human flourishing. God wants us to want the good gift of life that he offers if we will just keep moving through. You know, the people of Israel were super stubborn in their time in the wilderness. They spent 40 years out there traveling, constantly rebelling against God, and just basically walking in circles, avoiding the promise that God had made to them through their ancestor Abraham. But still, God is calling out to these people to come out of the desert and come into the promised land. And so in the book of Deuteronomy which is like Moses' last sermon to the Israelites, he says this to them. This is uh, chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Moses says to the people, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on earth to be his people, his treasured possession. It was not because you were more numerous than other people that the Lord has set his heart on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the people. 
It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, the faithful God, is the one who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Moses is telling the people like, hey, yes, you've been making a mess of things out here. I know because I was there and I accidentally partook in some of it myself. But know that in the midst of all of that, this is how God sees you. As children, as a treasured possession. Now, what you need to understand is that this generation that Moses is talking to in Deuteronomy is not the same generation that came out of Egypt. This is their children. These aren't the same people who caused all that trouble in the wilderness. But as you all probably have figured out at this point in life, generational curses are real things that need to be broken. I can guarantee you with absolute certainty that these children watched the disobedience and the grumbling of their parents and were quite prone themselves to the same type of behavior. In fact, like in the coming books of the Bible, they'll prove that. But the point is this. That's not how God sees them. God sees the Israelites as a chosen people, folks who are living in the desert, who are a broken mess, whom he is going to turn into something beautiful if they will let him. They aren't going to be desert dwellers any longer if they will just listen to the voice of the God who calls them treasured possessions. And this is where we find ourselves too. We stand in the desert with the choice to, to buy some land or to move on. And God's got hopes for us. God's got a masterpiece in mind to paint with the brokenness that we've endured throughout our lives. God's got a deep restoration available to us here and now throughout these 40 days of Lent and beyond. But we have got to make a move. We've got to shift. We've got to take the steps out. And it's difficult because maybe we've done this before. Maybe we have done this same thing year after year after year, following Jesus to the cross, and we don't seem to feel like anything actually changes. And we're starting to feel like this following Jesus thing is more like just walking on a treadmill rather than actually going out and walking towards some type of destination. Friends, I wish that I could say that it won't always feel that way, but the fact is that no matter how far away we move from the desert, we come face to face with the reality that we carry part of the desert with us, right here inside. And so we just naturally gravitate back to those things that steal our joy, that steal our heart away from our God and from our neighbors. But the good news is that as long as we keep moving, 
As long as we don't give up and put down roots in the broken desert places of our lives, then we will be living into our identity as God's treasured possession. In the 90s, there was a, a hip-hop artist named Coolio. He wrote a song about living in a gangster's paradise. And this is what he says, reflecting on it. He says, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. And if that doesn't aptly summarize what it's like for us to live out here just on the edge of the kingdom of God, then I don't know what does. When we live according to the promises of this world, that, that money and the power and the violence and trickery required to get them, then we are staring the desert in the face and saying, you know what, I think I'm going to buy some land here. And that land yields nothing to us other than danger and death. But the invitation of Jesus in the Lenten season is to walk past that for sale sign. We're invited to cross through the water of life and start living in the new and transformed way that God offers to us through the empty tomb. For it is written, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled with grace, filled with love filled with the peace of God. See, no matter where you find yourself, whether you're deep in the desert or just hanging out right there on the edge, looking longingly over your shoulder, we've been given a gift. See, the desert, though dangerous and not a place to buy land, is a place where we're still deeply held by a God who loves us. The desert is a place where we can honestly look at our lives, the brokenness, our deep need for Jesus to meet with us and realize that he already has. The desert is a place where we can make a decision to walk towards God in a new future. The desert is the place that God begins to paint with our ashes and make us into something new. So the question really becomes, will you take those next steps? Will you be honest with yourself about where you find yourself today? Where is your soul still putting down roots in the desert? Where... Is your heart still drawn to that for sale sign out there somewhere off Route 66 in the middle of nowhere? Why is it drawn there? What do you need to let go of in order to heed the warning of my father? Don't buy land in the desert, son. Let's pray. God, we thank you that of all the places where we manage to find ourselves, all the ways and places that we end up when we walk away from you, that you meet us there. 
that you find us and that you offer us something different, something new. You offer us the ability to paint a beautiful masterpiece out of the brokenness of our lives. And so God, we, we love you and we, we thank you that no matter what we have done, what we have said, what we have thought, you still look at us the way you looked at those children of the people of Israel. You look at us and you say, these are my chosen, my treasured possessions. I didn't choose them because they're the best at everything. I chose them because they're the worst. And the worst is something I can deal with. The worst is something I can use to make something wonderful something beautiful. So we thank you for Jesus and, and the cross and the, the gift that you have given to us to follow in his footsteps. The gift that you have given us and that through the cross you call us righteous and that through the empty grave you call us brand new. And so God, help us to live that out. How to make that Reality real for us in the ways that we live our lives, in the ways that we love our families, the ways that we love our communities, and the way that we love ourselves. Help us to embrace a new identity. No longer desert people, but kingdom of God people. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.